Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Welcome back, Up Nexters. It's Gabrielle again. This week, we are talking with Elise Murphy who is the author of a really cool book. I'm so excited that she's here to talk about it. It's called Confessions of a Church Kid. She's also one of the pastors over at Oasis Church, which is in downtown Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, my my home state. And I am very excited to bring on Elise to talk about her story of being that church kid, what her journey has been like, and the ministry that she's currently involved in. Elise, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's so nice to hear from you, and I'm so pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So what in the world inspired you to write (laughs) a book called Confessions of a Church Kid? Uh, It's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Why did you put your secrets out there? Um, I, like, yeah, it's it's a definite, uh, it's a good question. I grew up in church, and you know, after a while, kind of coming into ministry after having grown up in church, I just realized that everyone has these problems growing up in uh, church, the same problems that people have growing up outside of church. It's called growing up. But for some reason in church, it's like we could never talk about them. And I guess um, one of my traits is that I cannot keep a secret to save my life and never have been able to. But I guess in being really honest in my story and sharing the good, bad and the ugly, I would find people at conferences I was speaking at or churches or youth ministries. And I'd find students and young adults and even adults coming up to me and saying, oh, my goodness, my story is your story. And I really am a firm believer that if someone can look at your story and see your honesty and vulnerability and and they can find themselves in it and they can have a moment where they say, me too, and realize they're not alone and they're not the only one going through it, I think there's a lot of power in that. And so I just realized, well, if I got to be the first one to do it, then that's fine. So that's kind of where the idea that's came so from. so funny. So what are some of those secrets from your experience growing up in the church? Because you're not only a church kid, you're a preacher's kid as well. <laughs> I'm both. I'm all of them. I'm a mess. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, You know what? There's a lot of different um, things that you go through that is very specific to being a pastor's kid, also just very specific to growing up in church. We have this idea that there is a spotlight on us, that everything we do is seen and judged by everyone around us. We're afraid that we'll ruin everything for our parents that they've built by doing something wrong. And there really is that fear. And I've seen a lot of fear attached to people that grow up in church because I had it, you know, fear of messing up, fear of what other people think, fear of ruining everything for our parents, fear of going to hell because we kind of grew up in the 90s and that was preached a lot. (laughs) So just a lot of those things. And then that feeling of not being equipped, not being qualified to do what God's called us to do, that that feeling of, of having to hide the real you and be someone that you're not. And, um, and even I touch on in the book that the feeling, the fear of being single forever or not finding someone or not being pretty enough or, or being really lonely in church. You know, a lot of times you can, um, not have really authentic friendships and, and people can hurt you. And you see a lot of the church hurts that your parents go through and it can affect you. So 
there's some of the things. And my first confession in the book is says, I hate church people. So <laughs> straight, straight away, we kind of get into the, the grit of, <laughs> of confessions of, of church kids, but there's some of them and they're not all of them. They're just a sample of some of the things we go through as, as church kids. Yeah. And then I couldn't agree with you more. I love that you brought up the, the whole, am I going to be single forever yep. thing, which you're not going to be. We were just talking before we we jumped on here. <laughs> Recently engaged, I'll be married here Yay. in a couple of months. But <laughs> I think this concept of in this discussion of am I going to be single forever, particularly as women in the church that we are kind of told, you know, come here and, you know, we'll, we'll help you either find a husband, right? Because hopefully he's in that small group we're going to Wednesday <laughs> nights. Or, you know, or we'll help you, you know, find your love in Jesus. And I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that there's anything bad with those things. But sometimes when you're, you know, a young woman, you're like, I just want real life advice, right? Like, just tell me how it is. I don't, you know, don't keep, you know, throwing scripture at me. Like, just tell me how life's really going to be. Yeah. Sometimes I think we try and answer life's questions with Jeremiah 29, 11, even if it doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. And um, I think that we can in church have this tendency of either over spiritualizing something. And sometimes I just get this feeling that God's looking down from heaven and just saying, would you guys like stop seeing how many father God and blessed and highly favored you can fit in the sentence and be real with each other. And I think that that is a real thing with the singleness. You know, in the book, I talk about being a bridesmaid five or six times. I've lost count in the space of about a year and a half. And then another time when my heart was so broken, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where where you are so heartbroken that your heart is literally aching. And I had that feeling and I wondered if anyone had ever come and make me feel the way this, this guy did that I broke up with in when I was a teenager. And I really wondered if I'd ever find someone that would understand me, would accept me as a leader in church. You know, you always got told that you don't, don't go for someone that can't lead you. And I, and I totally agree with that. And I'm so thankful and grateful to God that my fiance is an incredible not only Christian, but leader, spiritual leader. Um, But it really does place this fear in you. Can I find the one that ticks all the boxes? And that's a real fear. Yeah, it it is. And I think just um, without being too spiritual, for me, I had to learn to trust God. I could trust him with my career. I could trust him with my finances and tithing. I could trust him in all these areas. And yet the one area he withheld was the area that I didn't trust him. And the truth is, is that I didn't. I didn't trust that he would bring someone along that I was not only able to be spiritually led by, but someone that, hello, I was attracted to. And we think we have to choose, and I don't believe you have to choose. And so this book kind of dives into some of that stuff of being able to trust God in that area and know that he has the, your best interests. And I can stand here now as a testimony or sit here in front of my computer as a testimony that God does do what he says he will do. And he does bring forth the promise that he gives you for that husband or that wife, um, that you pray for and that is your secret desire. And he totally does. If we trust him and we go about doing what he's called us to do before we ever have that person running alongside us. Yeah. Fantastic point about the trusting of God. And I agree. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it with many of my close friends that we trust God in everything else other than the the person that we're supposed to spend the rest of our exactly. lives with. Exactly. We do things like um, we go on Tinder or all these other things and nothing's wrong with them. I'm not saying anything's wrong, but we take it into our own hands when God's saying, hey, this is a really important decision. <laughs> you just said it, the person you're spending forever with. So 
would you let me have a hand in it? And we take it into our own hands for some reason. And God, God's doing a pretty, pretty good job if we, if we give him the reins. <laughs> oh yeah. And I haven't shared this story on the show yet, but that very moment happened for me a few years ago. I was in Southern California visiting some friends and God had me write out all the things that I wanted in wow. a husband. And I was never that Neither. person. <laughs> you know how they say, right. You know, I was like, cause I, I don't want to be disappointed or, you know, I just didn't want to be so particular. But after this process of writing out everything, I was sitting down on the beach and I turned around. And as I was walking up the beach, right in front of me, maybe five feet in front of me, a man dropped down on his knee and proposed to his girlfriend right in front of me. And then over the hill came all their friends with giant <laughs> signs that said, say yes. And I was like in a movie. Well, real. <laughs> I, I know. And so as I walked away laughing, I really just felt like God was saying it can happen in an instant. And so it was in that time of me struggling to find it out. And I mean, fast forward a year and a half and, and I met my husband, but very much to your point is sometimes we over spiritualize everything. Cause then I'm like, okay, great. As I'm like on the plane home, I'm like, is that him? <laughs> is that him? Right. Be because we, I, especially I think in the church and those raised in the church as women, we're like, oh, well, if we go to church long enough, we'll run into our husband somewhere rather than just trusting God and letting go of the thing closest to us, because there's no way we care as much about it as God does. Absolutely. Yep. That's so true. So I'm really curious for you and your perspective, in addition to, of course, the relationship component, what are some of the big challenges that you see others who've been raised in the church facing as they transition from maybe that sheltered experience in the church into what we call the real world. <laughs> Girl, I have stories for days. We only got 15 minutes. But um, I think one of the biggest things I see, and honestly, the only, the only reason I say I see it is because I went through it. And these days, I kind of just don't like speaking about things that I haven't experienced or haven't uh, gone through. We, we do that growing up in church. We try to speak to things we haven't actually experienced. But I did experience that. I went from my comfortable, safe, sheltered home in Sydney, Australia to... Hollywood, <laughs> which I don't think you can get two more extremes. And it wasn't long before I found myself questioning everything. And I really think the thing I see the most is these people that um, we get so used to having Jesus in our box and in our own little comfortable life that as soon as we're thrust into this situation where um, it's anything but comfortable, we wonder where God is and he never went anywhere, but it's called the stretching season. <laughs> and that's really when you find out what you're made of. And I really think that, um, the biggest thing I would say in that season, if, if people are going through that and they're kind of like, God, where is God? My whole life has changed. You've just gone off to college or you've just gotten married. Maybe or just had a baby or you just lost your job or earned a new job or whatever the new season looks like. Um, the biggest thing I would say is God is in it. It may not feel like it, but if you look for him, he is in it. There's a reason the Bible says that he directs our path because we were never meant to direct it. Cause some way, some days you just can't see the, the, the next footstep in front of you. And, um, I think that's where I was at some days, you know, I got into the, in the inverted commas, the real world and was like, God, where are you? Why am I making these stupid decisions? I felt like Paul where he says, I do the things I don't want to do. And I don't do the things I do want to do. And yet God was there the whole time. His grace was enough. His grace would, would come every single morning and say, get back up, give it another shot. And I think that's the best thing we can do some days is just 
lean on the word in Lamentations 3 when it says that his mercies are new every morning. And as long as we can get to a new morning, his mercies are new, his grace is new. You can give it another shot. You can get back up again, whether that means that um, you get back up again from sin and you go back around or you get back up again from discouragement. You get back up again from what you thought your life was going to be. And I think just the tenacity and the determination to get back up again and give it another shot is something that um, we need to learn. And we only learn through experience. Very well said and, and a very powerful message. And I know one of the the messages that you often preach about is finding your purpose. Yeah. And how do you speak to a generation that is not only lacking purpose, but is almost encouraged to be lost, to have some, you know, life experience that takes you even more off track rather than having life experiences that point you towards your true purpose. Yep. What does that look like for you? Um, I think, honestly, it's so funny that you say that because, um, there is that quote that says, not all, the, not all who wander are lost. I'm like, why are you wandering then if you're not lost? But anyway, that's a millennial quote. But, <laughs> but yeah, we do, we do get encouraged to get lost. And I just wonder why. Like the Israelites in the wilderness weren't pumped that they were wandering and that they were lost. Like they were there for 40 years and the journey was meant to take, I think it was 11 days. Like we weren't meant to wander. God takes us into wilderness seasons, but we're not meant to wander. And we are meant to have a purpose for our life and I think so often we keep searching for our passion that we lose our purpose. We get so overwhelmed with trying to find the perfect plan that we don't ever start. And God's like, I just said it before, stop looking for the plan and go after what God's asked you to do the next step. And it starts little. It says, and I know I keep bringing up scripture, but the Bible says it. If you will be faithful in the little, he'll give you much. If you can be faithful with another man's vision, hello, us millennials that want our own vision straight away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's something to be said for being faithful with someone else's vision, your boss's vision, your parents' vision, your lecturer's teacher's vision, your sports coach's vision. And if we can't learn to be faithful under authority, then God will never give us authority to do anything. And I think the biggest hallmark of Christian heroes and spiritual leaders has been that they understood what it meant to be under authority. And I think in that sense, what it does for us is it means that we don't get lost. (laughs) I think we get lost when we don't listen to directions, like Siri would be shouting me down right now if she was a person. But so often we're not listening to directions. And I know my pastor, Philip um, Wagner, and my other pastor, Holly Wagner, they're our lead pastors of our church. They have countless times steered me from getting lost, helped me find direction, helped me find my way. Um, And if we don't listen to that, then we will get lost. But I think the purpose for our life is found when we're being faithful. It's actually not found when we go out looking for it and try and self-promote and self- self, just self, (laughs) just lots of self, just lots of self. I think the purpose is, and that's something I've had to, that's why I'm passionate about that is because it's something I've had to discover. And so I'm not talking from a place of, yeah, you guys should do that. I'm like, no, I am one that is actually walking this out and figuring this out. But the only thing I do know is that the greatest blessings, the greatest open doors, the greatest opportunities and the greatest platforms I've had in the last two years have been when I've submitted to authority. And I found my greatest purpose in doing that. And finding your purpose isn't a destination. It's more of a journey in and of itself. And I think when we elevate, oh, they know their purpose or they found it, it's, you know, it's not Pokemon Go. You're not, you know, collecting your purpose along the way. It's, you know, it, it is something that you're in constant conversation with the Lord about 
because you have different seasons of your life mm-hmm. and that ties to what God's calling you to more exactly. more than anything else. But I think you you said it so well when you were talking about, you know, losing your purpose while you're looking for your passion. And particularly for young people who are looking for jobs or looking for their career path and they're just, I don't, what am I passionate about? I want to do something that makes me happy. Well, look what you were created to do. And then everything else really falls in line, right? Yeah. And I think that with the purpose, God uses it all. Um, there are some moments I have in my life that let's just say are not my proudest moments. They are not the ones I'd want to put on Instagram. They are not the ones that I want to put up as my 140 characters, whatever it is on Twitter. Like they're the ones that you don't want anyone to know about. And yet what I'm finding is that often our purpose can come out of our most painful moments as well. In the moments where we don't want to keep going, in the moments when we mess up, in the moments when it feels so mundane, it's so interesting how God works all those things. And then in one day you realize, oh man, that situation I went through five years ago, that's helping me today. Oh, that job that I thought was pointless. Oh my goodness. That I was a a checkout chick at the grocery store, man, that's actually helping me today deal with customer service with people and pastor them. And that conversation I had with that friend that I was dreading was gave me so much anxiety because of the conflict. God used that to teach me something. And I think our purpose, you're right. It's made up of moments and God, God really takes those moments that maybe we don't even see at the time. And he uses them to bring about the puzzle picture that maybe we don't really understand until we get to heaven. So with your experience coming as a PK, now working within a church right now as a pastor yourself, mm-hmm. what do you think the future of the church looks like? And how do you see our generation interacting with a church? Shoot, how much time you got? <laughs> Big question. You know what? I think um, our generation with the church, um, it's, I'm not, a, I'm not, um, I think the church is generational is what I would say is that it's not about our generation, their generation, the generation to come. It's about us linking arms and the um, old men dreaming dreams and the young men seeing visions. And I think the, um, not that I don't want to call them the old people. That sounds so rude, but the people that have gone before, they have the dream. God gave them the dream and he has given us this generation, the vision, the strategy and how to do it. And so I think what happens when the dreamers and the visionaries get together, it shouldn't be a clash. It should be the ultimate beautiful example of unity in the church. And we need the dreamers. We need the ones that have gone before. We need the wisdom. We need the things that God has shown them. And then we need to seek God for the strategy. So often we keep trying to find the strategy of the church and the next best thing and this conference will do it or that sermon series or that evangelistic approach or that whatever. We keep looking for the new thing when God's like, well, actually, I want to join together what I've already, what I've done in the past and what I want to do in the future. And I think if we could understand that in the church, he would take us from strength to strength and there would truly be a blessing from that unity that we've never maybe seen before. I could not agree more. And when you walk into a church, if everybody looks like me, I get a a little freaked out, right? Or maybe I'm in Ireland or something because I'm redhead. But but I mean, (laughs) it's it's true. I think we really do desire and we are designed to be cross-generational where we are working together and collaborating uh, and and being in community with one another, because as soon as you, you know, only focus on one generation, you're completely losing the wisdom and experience of another. I live in Arlington, Virginia, right side of Washington, D.C., and I laugh 
a lot when I go to the grocery store because I'm like, am I in a college town? I mean, everyone is like 22 and in yoga pants, right? <laughs> Everybody. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. where, where are the adults here, right? Because as right. a community has to thrive where you're bringing in, you know, different perspectives and, and different age ranges mm. and all of that. So I, I love your perspective. And I think uh, more of us need to approach not only the church, but the community, the companies that we're working with, with that mentality to say, just because you look differently than me doesn't mean that I should disrespect you. It actually means I should embrace the perspective 100%. and the wisdom that you have. Yeah. We, um, our church, Oasis, um, we just did it. We do a survey every year um, just to make sure we're, well, we'll see who's in our church really. Um, and every year for the last few years, this year has been no different. Our church has equal amounts um, it's amazing. Equal amounts, Caucasian to Mexican, Hispanic, um, African-American, Asian. It's There is literally no um, dominant ethnicity in our church, which is so amazing. And it's really the picture mm, of heaven. Good. And I loved it. A few weeks ago, Philip, our lead pastor, got up and, and spoke to our con- congregation about that and said, thank you, because you coming to our church means that you're giving up something. You know, maybe you come here and you wish the music was a little more Hispanic and, and, um, or you wish that it was a little more gospel or you wish that it was a little more Hillsong or you wish that, but every time we have to, um, come together as unity, we have to give up something. And so me coming to, um, someone that has gone before me to get their wisdom has to give up my pride. Someone coming to me for advice has to give up that or do you know what I mean? And so as the church comes together, yes, we have to give up something, but us not coming together, I think we'd find the consequences are even worse if we don't come together than the things we have to give up by coming together in unity. I could not. I could not agree more. Now we're here at the bottom of our time together. I want to ask you a question that I ask all of our guests. Yeah. And it is if the 12 year old version of you were (laughs) to meet you today and Uh see what you're doing, what would she think about it? Wow. That is such a good question. I don't know. I've been asked that before. The 12 year old version of me, you know what? I think for the first time in my life, maybe she would look and say, that's say yeah, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> As a 12-year-old girl, I was very confused, very insecure, very afraid that my life wouldn't be what I dreamed it would be. And I'd probably look at my 27-year-old self today, engaged, working on staff for my favorite church ever with the best pastors in the world and friends that are literally my family. And I'd probably look at myself and and say, man, this is, these are the things I hoped for when I was a little girl. I hope she'd be really proud of me. (laughs) I'm sure that she'd be. Yeah. Well, that is so awesome. So Elise, where can people get a copy of your book? Yeah. If you go um, anywhere, if you go on any, um, any book site, you can search at Confessions of a Church Kid, confessionsofachurchkid.com. You can go to elisemurphy.com, Instagram, Elise Murphy, Twitter, Elise Murphy, Facebook page, Elise Murphy, all that kind of stuff. It's all there. There's always links. So Go grab it and let me know what you think. Awesome. And we'll make sure to include those in our show notes as well. So Elise, thank you for coming on our show. I just want to acknowledge you for you, for the voice of leadership you have in our generation and for your willingness to do what you're talking about, to be humble, to learn from others and to really uh, encourage a generation to live out their faith in the most authentic way possible. So I am so glad that I was able to share you and your voice and message with 
our community. Aw, thanks, girl. It was such a privilege for me to come on and catch up with you. You're incredible, too. Thank you for creating a space for this so people can be encouraged and and um, just get wisdom together. We're in this together. And so thank you. You're awesome. 